This is the Creative Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lopez. Hope you enjoy this podcast. It's set up and designed for coaches, leaders, and influencers to share their stories and inspire others to share their stories as well. That we can all learn together as a community and get better every day. So thank you for listening. You're season two. Today's guest is Marshall Cho. Coach Cho is the varsity head coach at Lake Oswego High School. We talked to him today about providing a sense of belonging, while meeting your players where they're at, his amazing journey as a teacher and a coach. Hope you enjoy this podcast and you look to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Thanks for having me, Mike. Coach Cho, I, I really do appreciate your time. I know things are are uh, pretty, you know, go, go, go for you. And so it's for you to take the time to just, uh, you know, really make the time to talk with us today is just really, really special. So thank you so much. I, uh, I'll start off the way I do every podcast, Coach, in that. How are you introduced to the game of basketball coming out of Seoul, Korea and Springfield, Oregon? Yeah, this is back in 1986. Um, I was almost 10 years old. My parents uh, ended up finding, you know, relatives who were able to help them out in their immigrant journey. So of all the places in the, in the, in the West Coast to end up at, um, it was either going to be San Jose, Oregon, or San Jose, California, or Springfield, Oregon. So we ended up in Springfield, as luck would have it, the apartment complex that my dad was, you know, his first job, and actually the only job he had uh, in our entire, you know, 18, 19 years in Springfield was to be an apartment manager. And across from the street was this park that had a tennis court, baseball field, you know, and as luck would have it, a basketball court as well. So, um, you know, this is again back in the day when kids learned how to play the game on the blacktop. There weren't any AU or, you know, even a youth feeder program in their high school. So I learned the game that way. It was free, it was accessible. You got to learn about the people in your neighborhood and, uh, and what. You know, almost 35 years later, here I am, um, the head coach, head basketball coach at Lake Oswego High School. Uh, a prominent high school, a high school that's on the map. And and uh, so funny how you kind of, in the, uh, the unseen hours of your early years, in, that you got to this point now. I think that speaks to just finding your way, your own way. You know, I get a lot of guests that are like, well, my dad, my uncle, somebody before them uh, introduced them and you know kind of maybe have put pressure to a degree but you got sure. to, you got to find the game in a pure form and i think that's uh it's fantastic because i think that's uh that's a that'll be a long-lasting relationship you don't associate it with anything negative for the most part so that's great no it, no i definitely got a chance to you know make my own decision to do this um as you say, it is a prominent high school program. Uh, you know, before we got on this podcast interview, we were just catching up, and I was telling you, I'm, you know, I had my cell phone plugged into the wall here while staring out into the, you know, our football field, um, facility on a beautiful, you know, northwest summer day. Yeah. Um, so just, just grateful for, you know, for a chance to be caretaker of this program as long as this community will have me. Um, obviously, guys playing, guys like William Stoudemire, Kevin Love. And, yeah, you know, even recently, um, Calvin Hermanson was a two-time Gatorade Player of the Year. Yeah, we, we have a lot of history here, so 
I'm grateful to be a part of it and part of this community. Yeah, I'm sure the Oregon summer days are not like the Texas ones that I experience. <laughs> it's a little less uh, pleasant. It's almost 100 degrees today over here, so I'm glad you're enjoying good weather. Now, Coach, yeah. Yeah, what was your experience like as a player coming up through high school? Yeah, again, for for the listeners out there, you know, in their mid-40s like myself, you know, it was a different time, obviously. Uh, I went to a high school that had about a student population of about 1,200 students, so not the smallest school, but average size. And, mm-hmm. and back in those days, in the mid-90s, we got to play multiple sports. So, yeah. uh, soccer, as a varsity soccer player in the fall, varsity basketball player in the winter, and varsity tennis player in the spring. So, you know, I was fortunate that I got to be a three-sport athlete. Um, again, growing up in a small town like Springfield, um, there wasn't you know a strong AU presence back then, so we didn't really know how to find the game that would you know, help me go to that next level in terms of basketball. But in, in retrospect, you know, looking back on it, I'm really grateful for it. You know, the basic soccer skills that I got to have from high school, I got to use it when I was living in Mozambique, and soccer is the most popular sport in that African country. Yeah. Um, you know, I just spent this morning, you know, spending about an hour teaching my 10-year-old son how to play tennis. Wow. Um, and and now here I'm, you know, talking hoops with you. So, uh, you know, <laughs> well some, some may hope, yeah, some may wish that, you know, and I know I catch myself like this too, and where I think, hey, maybe if I focus on basketball, then I end up playing Division Three basketball somewhere. You know, I'm a student manager maybe at a D1 program and my career is somewhere else. But, you know, when looking back on the journey that I've been on, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. I think really for a lot of coaches who didn't, say, play uh, at, the ne- at the next level post-secondary, uh, I think really what it comes down to is the teaching prowess, being a teacher of the game. You love the game, teach the yeah. game. And then, of course, like you're talking about relating, like you did with those, uh, you know, people there in Mozambique with soccer. Like you already bridged the gap, and uh, you, you, I just think that's what coaches do. If you really are meant to be doing what you're supposed to be doing, uh, you're gonna bridge gaps. You're gonna connect in ways that other coaches who are just doing it for whatever reason uh, will never be able to do. They just won't. They'll never be able to connect that way. So I think that's that's part of it, Coach. I think that's part of the whole deal. I know I find myself yeah. in those instances. So, yeah. yeah. Um, now, Coach, who influenced you to go into coaching in the first place? Yeah, as you were, you know, you were mentioning the ability for a person to connect, right? An adult to a child, adult to a child or the play teenager. Um, my first five years before I, I became a middle school coach was, you know, I was Mr. Cho before I was Coach Cho. Right? <laughs> upon, upon graduating from the University of Oregon in the year 2000, I was accepted to the Teach for America program uh-huh. that placed recent grads into either a rural area that's underserved or in inner city school situations where there's a lot of challenges for those school staff teachers. So my first year, my first three years was in the South Bronx, uh, wow. seventh grade, I was my teacher. Uh, you, you want to talk about connecting, you know, their prior school year, that sixth graders, these kids had three different math teachers in one year. Wow. So, again, just coming in, fresh out of college, not knowing what the heck I was doing. I had a five-week five weeks worth of training in Houston uh, through the organization. And, and now, next thing I know, I'm talking to, you know, one of the most challenging middle schools in the entire city of New York. Yeah. Um, and I have 37 students on my roster and 30 desks. 
and, and you know they're jam-packed especially in this covid era there's just impossible to be impossible right but right, for sure. uh you know 20 years ago you know i'm barely you know pronouncing the na- last names of all the puerto rican and dominican students on my roster <laughs> and you know i have students yeah. who are immediately you know I, if people saw me today you know they they wouldn't think i'm 44 years old but you know imagine 20 20 years ago they think you know they they taught me some high school kids to teach yeah. uh, so they were challenging me right away um, but again, if it wasn't for my capacity to connect with them and let them know immediately that I wasn't going anywhere, that I was committed to them, um, and that, you know, I wasn't to be trifled with either, you know, yeah. uh, that I, again, this is a part of the cultural piece for me is, you know, having grown up in South Korea where, you know, teachers are by society just valued, yeah. you know, as one of the most important positions, um, I didn't realize this until that moment when I became a teacher, but when I felt the, you know, the challenge or, you know, even, I guess a little bit of disrespect, you know, the, the Korean third grader and me kicked in and said, Hey, you, you know, you don't, you don't disrespect teachers. Yeah. And you're not going to do that in my classroom. And I, and I realized that in terms of just demanding that authority, um, setting expectations that there will be structure, uh, you know, it really helped me. Um, and then when I, after finishing my third year in the South Bronx, school had been phased out by the New York City uh, public school. So I knew that I didn't want to leave uh, that situation, uh, teaching in the inner city of New York without having experienced success uh, in terms of, you know, the classroom achievements. So I was fortunate. I found a charter school just four blocks up from where I live, 118th and Lenox. The charter school was on, was on 122nd in Lenox and Malcolm X. Um, high-performing charter school. I had a chance to teach there for three years. And during my second year, which is my fifth year overall as a teacher, um, the principal you know, charged they, they had joined a charter school in New York City and deemed that I was be the, I should be the one to coach because I'm the one who was always playing <laughs> you know, during recess and lunch break, you know, basketball in the heart of the black top. So um, that's I got my coaching start, and uh, so many years later, here I am. You know, I got the bug, and I haven't been able to shake it since. Yeah, no, it's, uh, that's fantastic. You know, you talk about, yeah, I, I have a lot of experience with charter schools and also charter school leagues. That's, me and my father started a charter school league here in San Antonio, the very first. Uh, uh, you know, we just uh, did it incredible. so that, yeah, yeah, we started it so the kids could have something to do, basically. We weren't, we yeah. weren't doing it for the panage or the whatever, you know, we were doing it solely just so the kids can stay engaged, you know, because I like what you talked about, consistency, valuing your teachers, uh, and then the structure uh, that you need for any classroom environment, because redirecting kids just takes up so much time of instruction time and uh, all that, so once you you lay down the law right away like you had to, you know, you, you start building your culture as well, and I think that's very important for all coaches who are listening is that, you know, there comes a point where you have to kind of, you know, not just find your own voice, but find your voice when it comes to discipline and structure on your team in your classroom. If you say you you have that responsibility. So I really appreciate you sharing that because that that means a lot. Now your time there in New York city, South Bronx, all that, like, was that the point where you said, yeah, I want to go places with this, or was it just something I'm going to do this here, and then whatever happens, happens? Yeah, so what happened was, you know, my fifth year, we uh, we had the charter school team, and 
know, I don't know if it was similar to you in San Antonio, but you know, New York City school district is so vast and so you know, the largest school district in the country. There's no way for a regular public school system to set up a middle school championship like that, right? Yeah. But what was neat about the charter school league was predominantly schools from from Harlem, um, and it was I think my first year it was like an 18 league, and you know, second year expanded into something maybe 12 or 14. And what was neat about it was we, we played at a charter school that was located on 125th Street, right? The famous street in Harlem where you know you have Apollo Theater yeah, and, yeah, and all of that. There. And there was there. A, yeah, and, and they had just opened a charter school right on that street where if you're walking along the street, you can look down and there's a gym, a beautiful building. Um, and so that's where we got to play our games. And what happened my second year was uh, we won the New York City you know, Charter School Championship. Wow. <laughs> you know, maybe an 18 league, but, you know, I could say, and to this day as a head coach, that's the, that's the one and only, you know, championship that I hold in my resume Yeah. Um, as a head coach. But, you know, you, you experience something like that, and, you know, the kids are carrying me off the court, you know, we're all crying, and it's, it's one of those, you know, cheesy Disney after-school movie moments. <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, you, you think to yourself, hey, there's something here, you know. Um, but what happened was when I when I really decided to get serious about the coaching piece was I had at the time was dating uh, uh, my wife, who became my wife, uh, and she uh, had a public fellowship um, in, public, in public health yeah. uh, in Mozambique, Africa. So she, you know, has this amazing professional route. You know, she has cool master's degrees in Colombia and and she's out saving lives, literally saving lives in Africa. Wow. And, you know, and so what happened was we dated. We got married that August after my sixth year. And that's how I ended up in Mozambique, of all places. Wow. a Portuguese colony um, runs along the coastline of the Indian Ocean. You know, for the nice. kids, parents with kids out there, you know, when you watch the movie Madagascar, you know, when you <laughs> see that on the map, Mozambique sits right across from it from the Indian Ocean. Wow. Um, had gone through years of civil war, you know, had it, had its independence, but, you know, not the stereotypical, like, African country when you think of, like, people being welcoming and, you know, inviting you into your house, that type of, you know, type, uh, you know culture. It was a country that had been a socialist country for so long. Yeah. So there was a natural, again, you want to talk about connecting, there was a natural, you know, skepticism, right, or, yeah. you know, lack of trust with foreigners. And so, again, basketball was a huge piece for me, connecting with, with the players there. And, you know, I got to do that for three years. But um, you know, when I first moved out to Mozambique, I knew that I wasn't going to be coaching. I didn't have, you know, I didn't speak the language. Or, you know, I didn't speak Portuguese. So what I did was I cold called or called emails um, a bunch of people with the NBA. Mm-hmm. I found out that the NBA basketball at Borders Camp was happening in August, yeah. uh, literally two weeks or a week after, you know, we were scheduled to arrive in the continent. So literally, I'm just married, you know, show up uh, and <laughs> say goodbye to my wife, hop on a bus from Maputo, which is the capital city of Mozambique, uh-huh. and hop on the Greyhound, their version of the Greyhound, and I'm on a five-hour bus ride to Johannesburg. Wow. You know, we're talk about the stereotypes of dangerous cities. I mean, nothing that I experienced in the South Bronx or Harlem comes down to, you know, comes close to da- uh, downtown Joburg. Wow. You know. Uh, so then here I am, you know, end up, end up downtown Joburg, have somebody who I don't know pick me up from the bus station, take me up to the American National School in the suburbs of Joburg. And, and the day after, I roll in, and I'm the volunteer coach. And the guy get, you know, the guy's there, give me a, give me my assignment. And I'm at the shop locking and rebounding station with the Kende Matumbo and the new pole. <laughs> wow. 
So, Jeez. you know, again, these are serendipitous, you know, moments. Yeah, right? sure. But I think, I think it's definitely the universe telling me that, hey, like, <laughs> you might want to do this. This is a lot of fun, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. Um, again, for the listeners out there, I'm five feet eight inches. Yeah. Uh, so, just, to, just if you wanted to picture two guys who are, you know, close to two feet, you know, taller than my height, yeah. uh, and I'm sitting there in a rebounding, you know, and chop blocking station with the two African legends. Uh, yeah. No, for sure. You're you're at, you're at that moment where I think I'm, I think I'm at where I'm supposed to be. You know, yes, you get that exactly. feeling as well, uh, because yeah. normally, sometimes we're intimidated by new things, challenges, change, whatever. Uh, but then there comes a point too where it's like, nah, I belong here. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know why, <laughs> but yeah. but I belong here, and uh, I think that's such an empowering uh, moment. So, you know, my next question kind of maybe dives into that, but maybe supersedes it. I don't know. Do you have a memorable moment of your first time, like, coaching, like, where you felt like, okay, I'm actually, this is it. Like, this just showed me yeah. right now that I'm, I'm a coach now. Like, I have to do, you know, X, Y, Z. Is there anything like that? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny. I've gotten that question over the years, and what's funny about that is, you know, sometimes, again, you know, I mentioned the Disney after-school special moment, you know, where you're getting carried off. And yeah. those are the ones that, you know, bring a smile to your face. Um, I think especially now, uh, given the racial, you know, um, unrest and the awakening, you know, that we're experiencing across the country, um, I find myself kind of going back to the, the origin story piece of my teaching career. So, you know, oftentimes people will ask me on these podcasts, hey, how'd you get started? And the easy answer for me is to start with that Harlem example, right? That was my fifth year. I actually got to start a season, finish a season, and, and you know, feel like I had a beginning and an end to it. Yeah. Um, but these days, uh, I find myself going back to my very first basketball coaching experience, which wasn't a full season. But it was uh, my second year at the school in the South Bronx. Um, no, that's a lot. It was my first year. So, you know, and it's funny, I had a seventh grader who ended up being a division one prospect, but at the time I didn't even know until wow. I cut the kid. Wow. Right. So this is literally, you know, my first year into the teaching world and just completely overwhelmed. No one else in the building could take on this basketball team, so they give it to me. And it, it this season lasted two games before majority of the kids on the team were academically ineligible and they just pulled the rug right out underneath us. You wow. know, so Okay. I don't count that as my first, you know, teaching. So, like, I can't say, hey, I've been teaching since 2000 or coaching since 2002. Yeah. But I will never forget that this is, again, you know, somebody, just imagine somebody like me who grew up in a shelter, you know, uh, a safe environment, you know, for the most part. Um, I didn't grow up with much. I grew up on three and reduced lives. I got to benefit from all the governmental assistance that I got to have through the Pell Grants, going to college and all of that. Yeah. And now I'm in the South Bronx. And my first, you know, I'm, I'm months into my job, and the first game that was scheduled, we were supposed to take a walk through the neighborhood to the to another middle school down on the street. <laughs> and the seven or eight of us after school were walking, and there is a drug ring happening right before our eyes in the housing project <laughs> across the street wow. on 138th and Morris Avenue in the South Bronx. Jeez. And to me, just imagine, you know, this is my first exposure to just law enforcement, you know, uh, and just my first exposure to such a scene, 
Yeah. And I'll never forget the, the eight or so players that I had on that roster did not bat an eye. And they kept on walking because they had to get to this game. They couldn't wait to go and play. You know, wow. and that was one of the moments, you know, when I look back on it now and think about what we have to do to, to, to play our part in, in serving those who, you know, don't have, you know, as much as access to education, access to resources that we yeah. do. Yeah. Um, and it humbles me. Every day I think about that moment. And then I think about those players who, you know, after all these years later, if I was the coach that I am today for them back then, Maybe I'm able to find them a scholarship. Maybe I'm able yeah. to serve them in a better way. Yeah. And so knowing that, and again, I can't beat myself up too much for it, but it always reminds me that that if a coach, you know, in this in this present moment, you know, that everything I've been able to benefit from in my journey, you know, those players of 2001 in the South Bronx, they needed the coach I am today, not the coach I was 19 years ago. Wow. Um, so I, I think about that, and that's to, that's that's a moment in time that I, I think about every day, and I challenge myself to remind myself. I challenge myself to tell that story, um, so that other people can say, "Hey, like now, what are we doing with this?" You know. So yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm telling you this as I'm staring out into this beautiful football field that we have in this community, I'm just thinking about, you know, how do I figure out a way to serve, you know, players and maybe in that kind of situation that's in our own backyard yeah no man you're uh you're describing a lot of what i've experienced as well i mean there's just this i don't know there's this grit about it there's this grit this grimy kind of and people think that that's those are negative terms but they're not they're uh they're ways to invoke uh creativity if you will on how to like you're talking about better serve because uh, at the end of the day, I think that's what's uh, paramount. How do we better serve our student body? How do we better serve uh, our families? How do we better serve ourselves at times? Because I think sometimes we, we drop the ball even on how we're uh, self-care, health, all those things. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, that was. I, it's really interesting how you said that because I think about that too going back to kind of my origin story back when I started coaching and I'm thinking – what could I have done more for them? And like you said, not to beat yourself up over it. However, to reflect and looking ahead and being forward thinking how to be better prepared for the future. I think that's just really yeah. important. So that's what I'm taking away from what you're saying. And I'm glad you're, you have that opportunity to, to really think how to better yourself uh, to better others. Uh, Cause it's all, it's all connected, man. We're all connected one way or the other, but especially those that we choose to serve. So that's great, man. I really, I really, that was really, uh, that story though, man, goodness gracious. Yeah. That's just, that's bananas. And, uh, yeah. yeah hey, bananas, but again, bananas to you and me, yeah. but you know, for those kids in that moment, it's every it day. part of their yeah. every day. It's every day. Yeah. You know, so that again, yeah, let's, let's sit on that for a moment and be challenged by it. You yeah. Know, and do something about it. Yeah, no, I I grew up in a in a pretty tough part of San Antonio. I've uh, as like Tupac said, although we had it rough, we always had enough. Uh, however, our surroundings were pretty rough, pretty violent, and all those things. So I do, I, I really, I can really uh, empathize with those kids and and be in their shoes as I've been there. 
And so, yeah, that's great that you that you still, you know, here again, understanding everyday life for somebody else. Empathy goes a long way. And if you if you can't do it, you have no business coaching. I just be honest about that. I just, you know, whether they're affluent or blue collar or, you know, wherever they're at in life, their station, their status, wherever the world wants to put them. I just got to really be have empathy when it comes to young people. Now, so I would ask you, Coach, which leads me to the next question. I would ask you, uh, what excites you about working with young people? Um, it's funny because when I'm recalling that story to you, I look back on my 22, 23-year-old self, and, and I think even back then, you know, it's a passion. It's a, it's a sense of hope. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a sense of can-do. Yeah. And, you know, if, you, if a 22, 23-year-old has it, it still hasn't been zapped out of them by society or by life. Yeah. Um, you get a 15, 16-year-old who, you know, uh, doesn't look the part, but it's not like coming and tell you, telling you, hey, coach, in four years from now, I'm going to be a varsity starter. You know, another kid coming up to me and saying, hey, I'm playing division best, division one best, one, no matter what. It's just it's that sense of optimism, right? Yeah. Um, it keeps me young, um, and it keeps me you know, motivated to, to see if that's really the case. You know, if, if somebody's coming to me and, and giving me their dream, you know, how do I in a responsible manner, <laughs> you know, meet them where they're at and, and give them a sense of reality, but also, also, you know, encourage them to shoot for the moon, you know, see where else you're going. So, um, you know, for right now, you know, what's been really neat about our Lake Spiegel program is I'm five years in, um, you know, in the state of Oregon, there are, you know, it's not the same with, you know, when I was coaching in Washington, D.C. Or, or New York City where, you know, the best basketball players are playing in private schools, right? But, yeah. You know, there are, there are two prominent private schools in our state, in Jesuit High School and Central Catholic High School. And, and, you know, what happens in an environment like this is, you know, a lot of people maybe get sour grapes and say, hey, like, private schools should have their own league. They get to recruit this and that. But um, I'm reminded of, you know, what, that's how, uh, you know, um, of course, Brad Stevens, when he was a butler, he would say, hey, I'm not trying to recruit in food, you know, but the players that I get, not just a four-year relationship I get to have, but it's two years prior when I, you know, spent all that time recruiting. It's a six-year relationship, you know, that's yeah. different than a two-year relationship of the one done. And so that stood out to me a lot when I took over this program five years ago is that because I have a thriving youth program that starts in the fourth grade, because I get to have camps, you know, with kids in the first grade, you know, I can really, for, for the five or six seniors that really get to finish out their journey, you know, playing varsity basketball here, you know, that's the potential, potential to have a 12-year relationship. That's yeah. the potential if they come into our youth program to have an eight-year relationship. Yeah. Um, that's something that, you know, most college coaches don't get to have, you know. And, and I mean, frankly, it's, it's really the public high school coaches who have that privilege. Yeah. So I look at it as an opportunity. You know, we busted our tail, building up our program, having a presence in our community, and, and bringing them into our gym so that, you know, they have something to look forward to. And, you know, even to say that for you is like, if a kid only plays through JV or JV2, right, I want them to know that they've had a six-year-old relationship putting the jersey representing our community. Yeah. And, and that should, you know, and even if they don't become a, you know, a serious basketball player moving forward, they have all the lessons we've taught along the way. So yeah. it's, it's a tremendous opportunity, a huge privilege, and, you know, 
at the end of the day, you know, I like winning some games too. So definitely mm-hmm. part of our competitive advantage as well. For sure. I like what you said there about, you know, throughout the whole program, everybody feeling like they're a stakeholder, if you will. And also yeah. to feel like they have the hand in building something and looking forward to things. Uh, I remember about three, four years ago, I had a national team, right, that I was taking around the country and playing, you know, all these prep schools, all these well-known high schools, elite high schools. And, you know, I had a JV team as well that was playing a local varsity uh, schedule. And one of the kids that I had, he was on my varsity three years prior when we didn't have a national team, right? And he says, Coach, you spend more time than them with us. I said, well, yeah, you know, that's that just takes a little bit more of my time. And, and I and but it touched it touched me because I said I'm gonna I'm gonna let my assistant coach or my associate head coach for this little stretch of time I, I set aside to just spend time with the JV crew and I wanted them to feel like they were just as important as the national team I wanted them to know that I cared about their development in the same way so yeah I can I hear what you're saying like it's a it's a people use the word holistic all the time and and I'm not sure how it's how it's really being executed when they say they have a holistic approach but it sounds like that's what you have and and uh, so that's great coach really really good now we we talked earlier about connecting with with players with people uh with your students uh how do you connect with the generation of players who are usually right now this generation of players usually labeled as entitled how do you connect with them uh could you repeat that second part of the question? Yeah. Where you touched on entitlement. Right? Yeah. Well, how do you connect with the generation of players that's right now kind of labeled entitled? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's uh, that's a loaded question, isn't it? You know, I think, <laughs> yeah. um, and for me, you know, again, I, I like to think I'm young at heart. You know, yeah. Try to be the, the Peter Pan, but at the end of the day, you know. Father time is undefeated, and here I am, you yeah. know, collecting gray hairs and, <laughs> and sore joints, and you know, and and each passing year, the, the amount of demonstrations I'm doing on the quarter less, and I'm you know, I'm putting that on the shoulders of my assistant coaches. But I think the biggest thing for us is like understanding that there are certain things that are timeless. Yeah. You know, I think we talk about community. I think those things are timeless. You know, um, one of the best quotes I heard during this time of COVID.
yeah. right, for all our shortcomings and, and our faults and, and, and the turmoil that, that we wrestle with every day in this country, you know, at the same time, it is, you know, it's still, in my opinion, it's the greatest country in the world. Yeah, for, for I agree. The, the, the ambition to, you know, embark on this social experiment that is the United States. Yeah. So, you know, it's the same thing for us. You know, I touched on it earlier, you know, for that fourth grader to finally turn on a, a jersey or, or to put on a camp shirt that has our, you know, the motto of the summer for it. Like, how do we replicate that, that they understand that they're a part of something bigger than themselves? Yeah. You know? And so uh, I think when you do that and focus on, on those things, the positive um, the entitlement piece, I think, I think that happens when there's a disconnect between two individuals. Yeah. You know, I think when there's a miscommunication or misunderstanding of what is expected of each other, um, you know, but again, if we make that effort to meet our young people where they're at and, and, under, and for them to buy in that we're going to be in their corner and that, in that sense, that's no different than what I've experienced in the South Bronx 20 years later to Lake Oswego. Young people want structure. Yeah. They want, you know, leadership. They're craving it. At the same time, you know, it is true. Twenty years from now, they didn't have all the information in their fingertips like they do now. Yeah. So that you know, they do want to know the why. And I think again, if you put on a, a, a teacher hat, a willingness to teach and show instead of the authoritarian, you know, the old school authoritarian coach hat. Yeah. You know, um, I think that that minimizes any kind of sense of entitlement that you may see bubbling up. Wow. Because ultimately, what you end up getting is a teacher-student relationship. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you, you go to a, a, what do they call it, a transformative relationship rather than a transactional one because I think that's what most, you know, growing up, that's what we a lot of us had with coaches. It's just we were a means to an end, uh, to a W or whatever, uh, a better job. I mean, who knows what a lot of coaches have in their mind and in their hearts now. I, 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 hear, I hear what you're saying, and it remind, I saw you on an interview. It was a quick interview, but I uh, – you were talking about how you don't feel pressure when it comes to coaching. And a lot of coaches, if they had to step into your shoes today, uh, they would feel a ton of pressure to maintain, to, uh, to build up or to, to better the program. However that looks like, or whatever that looks like. But you said you had something very profound and wise. You said, as long as I'm doing what's best for my players, I don't feel pressure. And, and you quoted uh, Mike Jones in that, he said, "I don't." He he told you one time, "I don't feel pressure. This is fun. Like, yeah, that's the approach we got to have." And I think the kids that'll that will trickle down to the players. And as long as you've done what you were supposed to do, as long as like you talked about getting buy-in and things are structured, and we're teaching you and you're learning and we're prepared, man, that's all you need. And so yeah, it's really really good yeah. stuff. Now speaking of Coach yeah. Mike Jones. I want to ask you, what kind of influence has he been on you as far as you personally and, and as a coach? Yeah. I mean, I would say Mike Jones, you know, again, a handful of coaches I, would, I could count in my hand, you know, the top two or three most influential you know, basketball person that I've had in my life. Um, so just to backtrack from our, you know, our journey, I, you know, 2006, I moved to Mozambique. Um, and I, you know, experienced basketball without borders camp. You know, and, and think to myself, okay, I could try to do this full time. Um, and in the meantime, I end up spending the next three years starting a high school basketball program scratch from scratch at American International School of Mozambique. I end up working a lot of clinics and, and practices for the junior national team. Yeah. Um, 
And at the same time, I'm working as an assistant coach for one of the top club teams in the country. So I'm wearing all these different hats, mostly involved in coaching. And so, uh, you know, after my second year, I'm coming back home to Portland, Oregon. Uh, I have the good fortune of having a coffee meeting with Tony Dorado, who, wow. again, along with Mike Jones, is probably, you know, top two or three most influential coaches or, you know, basketball people in my life. Yeah. And I had this conversation with them, and I say, hey, I have a, I have a year left in this country, this, this third world country, and we've won all this coaching. You know, what would you suggest that I do to leave the biggest impact in the year that I have ahead of me? And Tony, in his infinite wisdom, uh, suggested that, you know, I should be working with the coaches for the current year, that they would be the ones to carry through my program, coach the coaches. And, um, and so, long story short, I fundraise, I hustle. I get a plane ticket and a hotel for uh, Mike Jones and Tony Dorado to come out and run a coach's clinic. That would be the culmination of a year-long, you know, effort that I had. Yeah. Um, so fast forward a year later, we're literally a week and change out of leaving Mozambique and coming back to the U.S. on my wife's, you know, time the, the continent is done. And we're looking at relocating to either Baltimore or Washington, D.C. And Mike Jones and Tony Dorado <laughs> I popped on a 17-hour flight from the East Coast to come to middle of nowhere in Mozambique. Mm-hmm. You know, we're at this tiny, tiny uh, airport. I, I have um, some connections with the U.S. Embassy, so I'm picking up in a, picking them up in a bulletproof SUV. You know, with the Marine, with the driver, wow. and I'm picking them up at this airport, and then you know, taking them to a five-star hotel in the Indian Ocean. You know, something they didn't expect. Yeah. Uh, so this luxurious hotel that you, you couldn't imagine in a third world country. And then I spend a week uh, having them run clinics in the morning and night, you know, in different groups. Nice. Um, so the second night, you know, of our stay, uh, the uh, Coach Jones just kind of asked me briefly about my story and, and literally says, hey, if you ever come back to the U.S., you know, if you're ever close to D.C., I want you to come join my coaching staff. Wow. So, so that's how, long Jeez. story short, you know, again, it's no different than the Bikembe Mutombo moment. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you think to yourself, okay, yeah, this, this, this is going to work. <laughs> I, I want to be a part of that, the massive family. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, and then again, fast forward, I, I get to the stage. You know, I start out as an assistant freshman coach my first year, um, get promoted to the head freshman coach. And by the time I left my third year, I was the head shady coach at the Mutombo. So, you know, all along the line, again, uh, I never got to have the official title as the varsity assistant or anything like that. But, you know, how many other programs in the country can you say, hey, you went from a JV head coach to a Division One coaching staff at University of Portland? Yeah. Um, I would say the math is probably one of them. So, um, you know, that particular story that you, 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 know, you saw me sharing was my first year. You know, it's right before the WCAC you know, championship game. You know, between Gonzaga and Damatha, Corey Rivalry, you know, and American University is where they held championship in arena's past. Coach Jones generally in the habit doesn't go out to the pregame stuff until later, you know, maybe five minutes before the clock or whatever. You know, he wants to walk in and focus, and I get to stand in the gates behind and just kind of take it all in. And I don't, I mean, how am I, how am I supposed to say this, you know, but, you know as, as a rookie coach, you know, just overwhelmed or just kind of, you know, just blown away by the scene. Yeah. You know, I say, hey, and I, just, I mean, how can I ask this right before a championship game? But I said it. I definitely <laughs> I did. But, you know, I say, hey, do you, do you feel any pressure? <laughs> I mean, literally five minutes before a championship game, he kind of gave me a side-eyed look and was like, 
you know, and that was the response. Hey, I don't, I don't feel pressure. Like this is fun. Wow. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, that that's where I need to get to. Yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and but you know, again, the long story short, when I reflect on the three years there, I see why now. You know, after three years there, that that was fun for him. Yeah. Because of all the work that they had put in. Yeah. Day in and day out through yeah. the course of a, a season and a preseason. You know that that it's ultimately at that moment it's up to the players. And as a coach, you should enjoy that moment because it's a chance for your players to go out and show off, you know, show out what they can do. Yeah. So, again, you know, it, it's also a lot of fun when you have the girl and you go, Jan Grant, <laughs> Quinn Cook, Jeremy yeah. Grant on your roster. Yeah, he walked uh, with a little bit so, of confidence with that, yeah. No, that, <laughs> you know, I think if I had a roster like that, I'd, I'd be, I couldn't wait to get on the floor either. Yeah. But, you know, but, but those players, you know, Victor Oladipo wasn't Victor Oladipo that, you yeah. know, when he came in as a freshman at the Massa, he played freshman basketball as the Jalen Grant. You know, Jeremy Grant was still learning how to play the game, but he played a critical role off the bench. You know, really, really. So, you know, that was a credit to the development um, on and off the court that the program did, as well as the academic institution that is the Massa Catholic High School. Yeah, very, very well documented how that program has had a ton of success, a tradition of success, and continues to. And, uh, you know, Mike Jones really has, you know, kind of the architect of that. But, man, that's from, you know, uh, Kevin Sutton, who's a really good friend of mine. Uh, you know, he tells me about, you know, that whole that whole scene, that whole league is just unbelievable. You know, every night is a big game. Every You know, when you're in conference, every night is just a killer, too. And so, yeah, amazing, amazing stuff, high-level basketball. Sounds like a great experience, Coach. Now, your experience with USA Basketball, how has that served you, you know, moving forward with your career and, and just personally, how that, has that served you? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's been an interesting journey. I was sharing with you before I got on the podcast. You know, I had a chance to start in the April of 2012. So, again, I had just finished up my third year. I had to come out. You know, it's my home town in Portland, Oregon, so it was a good excuse to come out. Coach Jones was an assistant coach on the Blue Summit team. Uh, so Kevin Boyle, who was the head coach. James Robinson, who I didn't mention in that list, along with Jerry and Victor and all those guys, you know, who would go on to be a four-year starter at Pitt, uh, was one of the guards selected as well. So it was an excuse for me to come back um, out hometown and, and you know, volunteer. So, you know, what, what started then... You know, has led to you know basically eight years, you know, seven and a half of which volunteering, paying my own way to get up to the mini camps, and you know, and I am fortunate that there's somebody here in town every every April, so I have a chance to get involved with that as well. But you know, the biggest thing I would say is you know, it's always always about the people, you know, Um, and so some of my closest relationships in basketball have come from watching. You know, the former junior national team director, DJ Johnson, who started the, you know, the Simpson staff along with Coach Walter, um, to now Sanchez Kayahuri, who's leading the, the junior national team program today. You know, these are guys that I really trust, and, and if I have any advice that I want to ask, you know, I can pick up the phone and ask them. So I think, yeah. first and foremost, you know, whether whatever organization it is, and obviously it's the most prestigious one in the country, but you know, I, I think I'm in a, I'm in a fortunate place to be able to say like the relationships that came out of it you know if i if i don't get another 
you know, any other opportunity with USA basketball moving forward. I know that these are lifelong relationships that I've been able to build from the organization. So you know, that's the most important part. But, you know, in terms of when I, when I started this program five years, or when I took over this program five years ago, again, I hadn't been my own high school coach at a big program like this. So much of, you know, our culture, our language, our offensive set, you know, were, you know, gleaned from the culture of USA basketball. So I always joke that we are, we are the, you know, the lab case for what that high, a typical public high school basketball program would look like if you took the combination of the culture of the Mathic Catholic, USA basketball, and Snow Valley basketball school. So, um, you know, um, so again, I touched on it a little bit earlier. You know, I want them to have that kind of sense of pride when they wear the, like a legal uniform, you know, similar to what it is, you know, when my guys, when I see guys, young, young men wearing the USA basketball uniform. But you know, ultimately, I think it's, you know, that's, I think that's the biggest thing. I yeah. sound like a broken record, but it's, it's getting yeah. the artists to understand that they're a part of something bigger than themselves. Yeah, no, you... No, Goach, he said something about consistency earlier. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. all it is, man. It's not a broken record. Yeah. It's being consistent. Yeah. That's all, man. Yeah. It's so, and, yeah. and as an educator, I think first and foremost, uh, that really is our goal is like we have to be reps. Every basketball coach, reps in the classroom, reps. Like everything's about repetition. And mm-hmm. and the more that, I don't know, you just, it's it's a proven, you talked about virtues that are timeless. Man, teaching, repetition is timeless that's never going to get old it's never going to go away it's never going to prove to not be successful it's always going to work so yeah i hear what you're saying coach i hear it so you know yeah here again going to your talking about your players how would your players at lake oswego describe both your culture and your preparation yeah the culture piece is interesting right it's, it's such a um you know, magic, it seems like the magic bullet that people can throw out, you know, a couple of cultures, like statements or, you know, mind candies or, or whatever and, and hope that it sticks. Um, I had a really interesting, and this is, again, in your backyard, no one you know that this is San Antonio. Yeah. I got to see a talk that they gave on behalf of the, you know, talking about the San Antonio Spurs culture recently. In um, watching this video, he said something that stuck, stuck out to me. He said, you know, when you walk around the Spurs, it's not like you're going to see a bunch of like clothes and things like that, you know, plastered everywhere. Like, like the culture is beyond, you know, those things that you see on wall or post or whatever. Yeah. That's something that you live and breathe every day. So, yeah. you know, hopefully at this point, you know, the, I think, again, the consistency, the, the, the routine of it would be if anybody from our program, you know, is asked that question by an outsider, they would be able to answer and say, our program is you know, built on the bedrock of courage, presence, and trust. So those are the three words that I brought up to the program with me when I started five years ago. And I knew that, you know, ultimately, I think we talk about this a lot, you know, the head coach has to set the tone. Like, there's, if you have a vacuum in leadership, right? And I, 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 if, when you have that, then I think there's a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty, and you have to provide that direction. And yeah. so for me, that was important. Those are the three words that I lived by three years prior to taking this job. That would be a whole other conversation, but I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. But based on off of those three words, what I realized going into my fourth and fifth year, I guess fourth year in particular, at that point we had become the number one team in the state. You know, we had carried the number one 
state ranking from January on the state you know, playoffs. And I can see that a lot of kids are putting a lot of pressure on themselves. Yeah. So, again, as an, as an attempt to give them a sense of ownership, and, and again, this is my growth as, as a coach looking back, is, you know, that's something I could have been doing better all along. But I knew that it had to be, they had to leave a legacy too. So you're yeah. talking about ownership stage and all that stuff. And so I challenged them to come up with a word that they would add on to the pillar of our program. And, and the word that they collectively as a senior class came up with was joy. That, mm. that no matter the pressure or whatever the process, they weren't going to lose a sense of joy wow. as they're pursuing this championship. Yeah. And so fourth year, it was joy. This past year, you know, we had our season cut short. That fourth year, we also had a heartbreaking semifinal loss. Um, and we ended up you know, winning third place. But you know, for all the history of this program, we have one state championship to show for uh, that Kevin Love won in the 2006 season. Yeah. So we're still on that chase in this past year. You know, I think a lot of the senior class, those guys learned from the shortcomings of the year before. Yeah. And what they realized was that we were, you know, as good as we were, we didn't have the, the belief, the sense of belief that we needed to take that next step. Yeah. And so that was that became a thing for our guys this year. You know, we were four and seven in January. You know, we were we had graduated, you know, six seniors and lost in those starting guards. A lot of question marks surrounding our program. Yeah. But what they were able to do in that moment from January on was go undefeated in the you know, wow. defend our league title where we won our third league title in a row gone. Nice. Going undefeated in the toughest, you know, one of the toughest leagues in the state of Oregon. Yeah. And we were literally set to set to play a night game on that Thursday, you know, Thursday when they canceled, you know, Rudy Gobert had the positive test case for COVID on Wednesday night. Games are canceled Thursday, and so now you know we did, they didn't get to finish that journey. Um, but that sense of belief that they had gives them some peace, knowing that they learned what they were supposed to learn. Yeah. That you know, the other seven teams in the in the state playoffs, you know, may have may disagree politely, but I have no doubt that it's the seventh seed in our in that tournament that we were destined to win it all. Wow! You know, I, I had a group of guys who really believed that it was theirs to lose. Yeah. So, you know, that, that helps me sleep at night a little bit better, um, yeah. get over the disappointment. But yeah. again, the kids have, kids have owned it. And so, again, anytime, hopefully, you know, another interview like this comes and it's, it's my player in this position and not me, that they'll be able to refer back to those five pillars. Yeah, and I think you said something really important. I think all coaches listening can understand. You said you could, you could sleep better at night knowing that, you know, there was this sense of there was something accomplished in the season. Like you, mm-hmm. I've won championships before at the high school level, and I've lost some. I've, I've recently I lost one about two years ago. I won a, lost a state championship game, and when I went when I went into the locker room, that's always a daunting task. Yeah, what are you gonna say? You know, we can say to a bunch of kids whose heads are hanging, tears are coming from their eyes. Tears might be coming from your eyes as well. What do you say? Like, how do you leave that room? That means a lot. That moment means so much how you leave the room and how the, the season feels like what it was off or not. It, you know, you can accomplish a whole lot of things and feel a sense of closure, even if you don't win. And, and I think the opposite is true. You could win the whole thing, but you may not have done it the right way. And you just out talented everybody. That's all, you, you know, and, and there's that, but uh, I think all of us would still like that taste of that, the win either way, but, it's a lot to be said for what you said, you know, as far as 
you know, being able to, to have closure and, and feel like something was accomplished uh, that you set out to. So that's great, Coach. I, and I hope other coaches are listening to that because that means a lot. Um, so, Coach, uh, with your family and the time that you have or don't have, or how important is that in, in the whole process of, of coaching for you? most important you know i especially during this time it's, it's been forced upon us you know that you know, getting all this time to spend with family has been such a blessing but yeah. for me you know again i kind of shared where i left home for a long time um but oregon was always you know where my heart is and i you know i just uh, i shouldn't have been fighting it so hard you know i would end up back here um, in a full, full circle moment but yeah you know, when I was at University of Portland, I had just left the MAPA. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on this pursuit. I think you mentioned that a lot of the, most of the audience, you know, to this podcast are college coaches, so they can understand this. Um, you know, my first couple of years at University of Portland, I was the director of basketball operations. In the heart of hearts, I know that I'm a coach, but, you know, my daily routines involve you know, getting the meals ready, checking on the academics, making sure our kids look good in the airport, you know, in their gear, making sure, you know, Coach Revino had everything he needed to, you know, have the program coming along. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, it was a steep learning curve. You talk about the WCAC and DC being such a tough one. The WCC for basketball on the West Coast, Gonzaga, St. Mary's, OIU, you know, so it, it's a tough task yeah. for a program like Portland to try to make a sense. And so, you know, it, in, in the midst of that challenging couple of years and the learning curve being so steep, uh, my second year, this is a story I don't share often, but I hope that again during this time it, it, it brings some perspective for you know, my colleagues in the basketball coaching world. You know, my my mother got diagnosed with stage four breast cancer wow. in December, and uh, it was pretty. You know, again, she you know an immigrant mother, so you can imagine the amount of sacrifice that she had given up to give her three children a chance to live out their dreams. Yeah, and here I am, you know, living literally living out my, my dream in our back home, you know, in our backyard, back home, and you know, I, you know, for anybody who's been through the cancer, you know, diagnosis, you know, process, you know, it's one hoop after the other, right? So it's yeah. one test after the other, and you don't yeah. know what's next. Yeah. And so it was an extremely difficult time. The coaching staff at UP again, we talk about family. Coach Remino on, you know, just really, you know, reminded me how important family is and gave me the freedom for my mother. But at the same time, you know, I had sacrificed so much and she had sacrificed so much for me to be living out this dream and it was so conflicted that I couldn't just leave, you know, this opportunity that I had. So I stuck it out and I'll never forget, it's January, you know, we beat Gonzaga. <laughs> we rushed the court. It's my first time we seventeen years. And it's one of those euphoric, you know, championship moments. Often, the whole time I'm thinking to myself, "What am I doing here? Yeah. You know, what what is this all about?" Yeah. Um, so again, uh, it's I guess this is full circle from an earlier conversation of, you know, when you're when I'm with the Kimbe or when I'm carried, getting carried off on my shoulders, like you know exactly what you know you're, you're where you're supposed to be yeah. well this is the opposite of it you know it's the pinnacle of every division one coach to kind of experience this kind of you know euphoric you know victory and here i am in doubt you know about what what is that um so you know, fast forward six months later uh, i decided to take you know take get off that rat race so, you know, trying to climb the division 
one doesn't matter. Take a year off. Uh, try to support my mother's uh, chemotherapy treatments and things of that nature. So in the meantime, my, my younger brother, who was a chef in New York City, also followed me out to New York City uh, to teach for America. I was teaching in Brooklyn. They both quit their jobs, and we kind of made the next you know, academic school year about you know trying to support our mother's uh, recovery. And to this day, you know, many years later, she's still battling in, and, and she's in good health, and, and you know, she's maximizing the days that you know she has here. But um, you know, so it's you know, it's a long-winded story to tell you guys, but you know, I'm sure there's many coaches out there who you know can relate to that. You know, yeah. you have to sit back and, and, and for for the ones who are listening who have that ambition, being the coaches who want to follow that path. You know, ultimately, like you do have to ask yourself, you know, are you are you in a position to walk away from it if you put in all those hours? And, yeah. you know, was it for waste? You know, I, I don't think so. The lessons that I learned during those two years, I, I pivoted and I, I put it to our high school program. And, you know, I'm proud to say that we run our program as professionally as Coach Bravino has taught me how to run, you know, as an ops guy at University of Portland. Um, the same thing, I played all those years on the blacktop. You know, but I didn't become a college basketball scholarship player. Right? I was a student at University of Oregon. But the lessons that I learned and the skill set that I had as a basketball player turned out, you know, gave me opportunity to build street cred with the kids, uh, you know, in my in the in the school that I was at in New York City. Yeah, it was enough, you know, for me to have that. So, um, yeah, so but... life will throw you like type of curveball. But again, you talk about family; it's the it's the first thing I think about. You know, as I'm trying to with the coaching journey. Yeah, no, there. I like what you said about the sacrifice that she made, you know, and then in turn probably your father too. I mean, there's all these sacrifices that people make for us, whether it's our parents, our spouses, our kids sometimes. Everybody makes sacrifices around us and it kind of gives us a perspective of our own sacrifices and how they're investments into our futures. And, uh, and I think that, and then their legacies too. our parents, you know, when I think about my grandparents that came over here to America, you know, it's like you talked about it earlier. This is the best country in the world, like bar none. Like that's not even debatable. I don't care what, what, I mean, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but you know, you said for all the things that weren't right, there's a lot of systemic things that need to be fixed. I get all that. Uh, However, my grandparents and then their parents and, you know, they, they came over here for an opportunity, so they sacrificed so that I could have a better life. And so that's what you're mm-hmm. telling me about your mom and her struggles, her, what she went through, and you learned from that as well. Coach, I would ask you, because we're talking about all you know these life experiences, these career experiences, uh, all that, and what have you learned about yourself throughout your career? Um, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, I mean, I can only speak to what am I, how I'm feeling about myself today, you know, this particular afternoon as we're moving forward, but I find myself invigorated, um, and energized to speak my mind. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I don't, I'm not quite sure how to concretely go about this and trying to figure that out, but yeah. again, trying to give voice to the voiceless and, and, and access to those who don't have access. Yeah, feels like a politician stump speech or something <laughs> like that. But uh, um, I do, I do feel like I have, I have some sort of a platform here, and yeah. I think I would hope that people look at it and say, "Hey, there's something different about this group." Yeah. 
So I think there's the, the first and foremost is you have to have excellence in your own program, or otherwise I think your testimony can be pretty empty. Yeah, for you sure. Um, so, so for us, you know, it's not that I I thought out these W, you know, but the wins that came along the way are a byproduct of the hard work that our guys put in, the byproduct of the culture that I stole from the Mata and USA basketball so that was, um, and so, you know, I, I, for myself, I, I feel empowered by that. I, I hope that doesn't come across as arrogant, but it's confidence. Yeah. And I think it's the same kind of confidence that Coach Jones was expressing when he said, I don't feel pressure. And so I definitely do feel like I'm hitting my stride in terms of using this program as an example for, you know, what, what can be for other programs as well. Yeah. Uh, I want to be as, uh, as much of an open book as possible and share the sugar and all the knowledge that I've been able to you know, beg, borrow, and steal for, you know, some other coaches that came before me. And um, that's the biggest thing for me right now is, again, getting reps like this, you know, talking things out with, uh, with uh, you know, somebody like yourself who has a platform to share share what our program is about yeah. and see if there's somebody who's out there listening who wants to connect and, and roll up their sleeve and try to do the kind of work that, uh, that I'm trying to do here in my backyard in terms of, you know, sharing, you know, free clinics, free Zoom clinics, free, you know, doing shoe drives and, and, and things that, again, taking the resources that this community has and sharing it with the rest of the state. Yeah. Wow. You know, that's important what you're saying because there's, uh, and if we can find a, a greater cause to what we're doing and in inspiring others to do the same, here again, not, here again, you talked about not speaking arrogantly, but confidently. Uh, I think that's really important for us to grasp onto that and uh, because it'll help us to, like you're saying, navigate through these times because there's a lot of uncertainty. But when you're confident, there's certainty in what you're doing. There's certainty in what mm-hmm. what your goals are, what your end goals are, what your long game is. Like, yeah, I don't, I, things are really weird right now and they're rough and they're tough from a societal standpoint. But there's going to be a tomorrow, and I'm going to be here to, 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 to contend. I'm going to be here to compete, and I'm just going to do that and uh, let the chips fall where they may, but I know what I'm going to do. I think that's great, man. Really good stuff. Now, my last question is always kind of about leaving a legacy, and uh, and you still got a lot of time left. I understand that. However, I, I do kind of – this is more of a rough, kind of looking, yeah, working uh, legacy, if you will. What would you want to be said of you, Coach, when your career is all said and done? Um, again, you know, this, this is for coaches that many of us, you know, we've read our fair share of John Wooden books and the coaches that we look up to maybe we didn't necessarily get to meet in person, but we read about and we aspire yeah. to. Yeah. So, you know, and all those coaches, you know, at the end of the day,
I think the legacy piece again is you know getting to see my players and attending their weddings and yeah. you know, having their children come to my camps and, <laughs> and being you know continuing to be anchored down into the community and, and having a generational impact. So I'm you know, five years in. Uh, let's see what the next five years holds. Um, but um, you know, I think that's that's what I'm shooting for. Um, and again, who's you know, to say what will happen tomorrow? But that's that's how I'm proceeding every day with, uh, with a vision that you know of trying to take this program another level in the next five years. Yeah. So, um, and that means really having a community impact, not you know, not, the, not the championships, not the trophies that we put in the trophy case, but you know the amount of uh, lives that we can touch in a positive way. You know, which we shared our resources. We had we had an extra something and we, we had the foresight to share it you know, with some of our neighbors. So. Fantastic. Coach, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I know here again, there's a lot you could be doing, enjoying that, that beautiful summer day there. And, you know, or again, I really, really do appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us. Yeah, no, it's, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much for reaching out and, uh, Look forward to being in touch moving forward. Likewise, likewise, Coach. Thank you.